Welcome to Chapter One with Houston Public Library, where we give you just enough story to get you hooked. Today's episode features Last Day on Mars by Kevin Emerson, read by Rebecca. This title is intended for tweens and is suitable for most audiences. Recording made with permission of Walden Pond Press, an imprint of HarperCollins. Prelude Regional Galactic Manager's Office, 8th Sector, Spiral Galaxy 93, Galactic Supercluster 714. Many hundreds of light years from the solar system you call home, inside a spindly crystal structure floating at the edge of a great nebula shaped like an eye, a yellow light began to blink. The light was located on a map, or something like a map. Picture a regular map spread out on a table. Only now, picture it bleeding up and down through the air, and also forward and backward in time. Like a map of your neighborhood, but also of Tuesday, and next week, and a hundred years ago. Let's just call it a map. This map was in an office. Not exactly an office either, but close enough. And its blinking caught the attention of a nearby being. She was known as a chronologist, and she was as similar to a human being as her map was to a human map and her office to a human office. If you picture her having dark blue, somewhat translucent skin and wearing black robes, that will be fine for now. The chronologist tapped the blinking yellow light and read the data that appeared. It was data about a star. She stepped into the middle of the map and spun it this way and that around her, checking the data from four other lights that were blinking in her sector. These lights also indicated stars, only they were red, She pressed forward briefly in time, and that yellow light changed to red, too. Red was a problem. The chronologist reached into her pocket and gripped a tiny orange crystal, perfectly round and about the size of a human golf ball. With it, she sent a thought message to the other regional galactic managers. In turn, she received instructions. Establish monitors. Add your findings to the inquiry. She zoomed in on the yellow light, studied its surroundings, and picked a place that seemed suitable to put an observatory. Then she had lunch. After lunch, the chronologist traveled 700 light years to the location she'd chosen. There's no way to easily explain to you how she instantaneously made a journey that would take humans nearly 7,000 years to complete, nor is there any way you could truly comprehend the chronologist's intricate relationship with the fourth dimension. And that's nothing to feel bad about. Here's the thing. The universe that you live in is really, really big. So big that most of the intelligent beings in it have had to make peace with how much they will never see and never understand. And yet, that's only the beginning. Put it this way. If reality was a blueberry pie, this universe would be just one single blueberry. And while someone like the chronologist can see this whole blueberry as well as all of the blueberries around it, The gooey filling in between, the flaky crust, and even that this pie is in an aluminum tin sitting on a shelf by a window in a row of other pies, you are so small and so far inside your own blueberry that you can't even tell if it's a berry in the first place. Most of the time, this lack of understanding isn't really a problem. After all, you're very busy, so much homework to do, food to eat, games to play. And often, when you do actually stumble into thinking about how big the world really is, it just gets you down. 
Because what's the point of going to school or playing outside or anything, really, if we're just insignificant little beings in one lonely corner of a vast and uncaring universe? That kind of thinking really doesn't do you any good. But then there are those other times, aren't there? Those rare moments when the stars twinkle just so, when the wind rustles the leaves just right, and you have that tingly sensation that even though the world is very big and you are only one infinitesimal part of it, you are also connected to something greater, somewhere out there beyond the moon and the black of space, something so grand, a pie crust even. Sure enough, though, just when you feel like you might actually be able to comprehend it, something always comes along and distracts you. A car horn, an errant frisbee, a meddlesome younger brother, and that knowledge, that awareness, slips from your grasp. For most intelligent beings, that fleeting feeling can be enough to give you peace of mind. If you speak to the chronologist, and there's almost no way that you could, she would tell you that you're lucky, because there are some intelligent beings who react differently to the same experience. They decide that they must know more, must try to go farther, no matter what the cost. That reaction, the chronologist would tell you, can lead to all sorts of problems. The chronologist arrived at her destination and found herself standing on a field of cooling lava. It glimmered like a frozen sea in brilliant yellow starlight. She checked her silver watch. It was a bit early, but like any good scientist, she wanted to get some context given the events that were to come. She spun a dial around the watch's face, and time began to pass rapidly. Days and nights raced by, then years, decades, millennia. It rained in flashes. The lava cracked and plants shot out of the gaps. In the distance, mountains grew. A jungle sprouted around her. Life forms crawled about, developing legs, scales, feathers, and wings. The jungle became a savanna, and then a desert, and then a jungle again. Briefly, she was under a teal-colored sea. The creatures around her kept changing and eventually settled on an amazing design full of great promise. They ruled the planet with grace and harmony for a thousand generations. One day, they even looked to the stars, just beginning to ponder their significance, to wonder what this universe around them really was. Wait, was that a blueberry? Unfortunately, it was an asteroid. In a flash, those great fearsome creatures were gone. The chronologist felt a slight pang of remorse, but only for a moment. After all, these things happened. There wasn't much to see for a while after that. Continents crawled along, ice fought with oceans back and forth. Then two-legged beings began to appear. They were amusing, very industrious, called themselves humans. They named the planet Earth and their star Sun. They sped around the chronologist on wheels and rails and through the air with propellers and jets. They built dwellings and great buildings and even primitive spaceships. They were a bit irresponsible, not ones to pick up after themselves, so to speak. But all in all, they did okay. Too bad for them, things were about to change. The chronologist touched a glowing symbol on her watch. She stopped in Centauri year 13,405,000,000. 7,862. These humans called it 2175. They were kind of adorable. She produced the orange crystal from her pocket, held it up to the sun, and started recording data. Then it happened. The sun changed, though not in any visible way, yet. 
The chronologist checked her readings and realized that this planet would not be suitable for her observatory after all. Her monitors would need more time, time this planet didn't have. She looked around her. These humans had no idea what was coming. Briefly, she considered revealing herself and explaining the situation, but such interference was strictly forbidden. Other chronologists had tried making contact with reasonably intelligent beings in the past, and it had never gone well. They were always mistaken for gods or getting attacked, or, in one unfortunate case, driving an entire civilization crazy. The humans would have to figure it out on their own. In the meantime, the chronologist traveled to the fourth planet of this solar system and found the highest spot on its red surface, a rocky spire at the top of a giant extinct volcano about 25 kilometers high. The planet had a very thin atmosphere, perfect for her sensors, and it was pleasantly desolate, except for one small human colony, but that was thousands of kilometers away. Still, after she installed her observatory using an instantaneous process of matter replacement that, again, would be nearly impossible to explain, she also sprang for a cloaking system, even though it was the end of the fiscal quarter, just in case those humans ever came snooping around. Inside, she activated many instruments that were positioned on a shelf ringing the circular room. Graphics fluttered to life around her. She calibrated the sensors on a long black object pointing up through the roof that resembled a telescope, and then she sped up her watch and observed the readings to make sure that everything was running smoothly. The instruments hummed and whirred. The graphics flickered and morphed. One large image showed the sun in the rusty sky. Soon, it began to grow, just like those other stars in her sector had. Before long, it would explode into a supernova, another star dying out, another yellow light blinking to red on the map in her office. And while, yes, things like supernovas happened all the time in this universe, they weren't supposed to happen to these type of stars, and they definitely were not supposed to happen this fast. Something else was at work here, something that was putting her entire sector, and quite possibly the entire universe, at risk. The growing sun filled more and more of the sky, turning from yellow to orange to red, as the chronologist observed the data, something caught her eye. Her silver watch had started blinking blue around the edges. Blue was a problem, one she'd sensed coming for a long time. Beautiful, isn't it? The voice came from behind her. The chronologist turned to discover the blurry image of a two-legged being. A white sting of energy shot through her. She crumpled to the ground, her vision filled with dancing bolts of electricity. As she fell, she managed to slip the orange crystal from her pocket and roll it towards the wall where it settled in the shadow beneath a shelf. I'm sorry to have to do this, said the figure, his voice clipped by static. Really, I am. The chronologist felt her body beginning to numb. She concentrated as best she could and sent a thought message to the orange crystal. The figure was dressed in a heavy black metallic suit, threaded with glowing golden wires, and wore a helmet with a lavender visor. He flickered, almost like a projection, an effect the chronologist recognized as space-time warping. I'm just afraid you wouldn't understand what we're after, said the figure. It's never been your way to ponder the oldest question. The chronologist knew of no oldest question. The idea seemed sort of silly, and yet maybe not that silly, because here she was, dying for it. As the final moment of her long life passed, the chronologist peered at the figure. You want to know who I am, said.
He raised the reflective visor of his helmet, and when the chronologist realized who she was looking at, she felt something like relief. Maybe it was for the best she would not live to see what would surely be the end, far too soon, of this universe she called home. The figure watched the chronologist until the white spark stopped firing. Always sad to have to do this kind of thing, but necessary. Sir, said a voice in his earpiece, we have a report from Sector 14. The figure tapped a screen on his forearm. A view of space appeared, and a fresh supernova bloomed in reds and violets. The explosion formed a shape like a hand. Success, said the figure. He smiled and raised his own hand, mimicking the supernova's shape. The grand design. I am coming, he whispered. There was a flash on one of the observatory graphics. It showed a panoramic view of the Martian landscape. The figure saw fleets of ships landing in the distance. It was still fascinating to watch time pass this quickly. In what seemed like moments, more ships arrived. And a dome arced across the horizon. Buildings sprouted up inside it. If only they knew. Sir, power's running low. We need to get you back. Fine, fine, the figure replied. I'm ready. He dissolved out of sight, leaving the observatory atop the volcano silent and still. Years passed, the monitoring equipment kept recording. In the skies overhead, more and more human ships arrived and the sun kept growing. Meanwhile, in a recess at the base of the wall, the tiny crystal sphere blinked, a small light in a darkening world. Wondering what happens next? Check out Last Day on Mars by Kevin Emerson, available in multiple formats at www.houstonlibrary.org.